the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand as we begin this Tuesday edition of Way of Grace. He does not forget your labor of love or work of faith. This is not an egocentric cold contemplation by which we are seeking to gratify sort of a narcissistic objective of being noted or being praised or being adulated for something we're doing. It is simply a truth in scripture that those who serve God will be rewarded openly for it. miracle is tossed around to the point where it's lost its meaning, created confusion, and has divided the church. Some say the Lord doesn't heal and work miracles any longer. Others say that he still does. Well, today on Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stand explores this issue with us. We'll discover that God in his love desires to bring much more than just physical relief or provision into our lives. From the book of Acts, chapter 3, here's Pastor Jesse. Faith is a uh, muscle, it is a resource, it is a device, it is a mechanism, it is a frequency, it is an instrument that God would train you in terms of learning something about his character and nature versus faith being sort of a bell you ring in order to get God to do whatever you want. You do understand what I'm saying. Faith is never depicted as a bell you ring and say, hey, hey, God, hey, Uh uh-uh. God will not hear you for years. You'll get tired of ringing that bell until you understand that God is really calling for a relationship. And so we read the last point. This is very important. The blessing of believing friends and family. Why do I say that? Because the layman was only at the gate because someone placed him there. Now, this gets into a a model of evangelism and and ministry that's critical. Now, this is not only in terms of a model for evangelism and ministry of all sorts, but this is just the care that should be part of the corporate nature of the body. So this can be described as two things, the care of the corporate body and also what we call in, in evangelism, corporate evangelism. The care of the corporate body. So if we have some brothers or sisters, our families, our churches that would be depicted by the lame man, infirmed, paralyzed, halted, hindered, obstructed from being able to do God's will for whatever the reason may be. We can take those persons to the Lord in the context of prayer and ask God to liberate them. Is that true? So whatever kind of impotency, whatever kind of lameness, whatever kind of impediment is hindering our brother or our sister or one we care about, we can demonstrate the blessing of being a believer. We can demonstrate the principle of being a friend because a friend loves at all times. And then we can demonstrate the principle of the ontological nature of the body, and that is we are brethren. 
So what the Hebrew writer says is, you and I are to be careful to regard the adversity of other brothers and sisters because we ourselves are also in the body. You know what that means? Any day you can break down just like them. And then you will need somebody to carry you around and clean your butt. Ooh, that would be humbling, wouldn't it? Oh, Lord, keep a brother from that. But the but sister too. But the point being is, it could happen. All right? God can humble us to that extent, can he? So then, being in the situation where you and I are healthy, mobile, and have the ability to get about, our privilege is to be able to take those who can't to the throne of grace so that God can do something for them. Obviously, I'm dealing with Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, where our Lord Jesus Christ, in the initial aspects of his ministry, is preaching and teaching. And in one portion of Mark's gospel, maybe the opening of chapter 2, it says, and it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. Aren't you thankful Jesus is in the house? It was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And so everyone came because Jesus was in the house. This is the way we would want our churches to be. Churches that are known that Jesus is in the house. Not this fan and not this star and not this person. Jesus. And people would come because of Jesus being in the house. And as the text worked itself through, it came to that portion where Jesus is doing ministry in the house. And there are four brothers. You might as well go there. Four brothers who are uh, arduously laboring, tenaciously working to position someone who is also lame so that they can be healed by Jesus. So that is in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verse Three, in f- three through five, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. You know what that means, right? Four people were what? Carrying him. We'll draw out the implications of that in a moment. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, that is the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, this is a truth that needs to be captured because it runs all the way through the scripture and it's something that God gives to us by way of exhortation and it's this. He always expects faith to manifest itself by works. He always expects that the gift of faith that he gives you, the gift of faith that he gives you, manifests itself by these kind of evangelical and corporate body works wherein we serve God out of the energy of faith that is rooted in love. That's the fundamental principle. Galatians 5.5, get it. Faith works by what? Faith works by what? The love of God shed abroad in our hearts where we love God, want to serve him, and the love of God that we have towards others where we want them to have the best because we want the best. So faith is never just a blind, abstract, philosophical concept. It always manifests itself in some kind of work. And so we read in the text, in that fifth verse, listen to what it says. When Jesus saw their faith. Got that? So you know what our master did? He penetrated their the external effort with which they engaged in bringing this lame person into his presence, he he penetrated, he went beyond their act and targeted their motive. 
It was the motive he saw. He didn't see them merely tearing the tile off the roof, opening up the roof. All of that took labor. Can you imagine having to overcome all of the obstacles that are in your way in terms of not only maybe your physical ability to actually pull the shingles off the roof or the tile or the wood or the leaves, but the people that you are about to embarrass while you're doing it. Because part of this stuff is dropping down on people's head and you're pulling it off and it's making a little noise and the master is preaching at the same time. You're trying to keep quiet because you want him to keep preaching. On the other hand, you've got the necessity of someone you care about that you want in the midst. So these are tensions operating as we are practicing our faith that can be a challenge to our emotions, to our psyche, all of that. And what our Lord is commending is the, is the power of their faith to break through all of those barriers and achieve its goal. Which was one thing. To bring a person who had a need directly into the presence of Christ. If we were to carry this principle uh, and, and, and ferret it out, we would say in the area of prayer, this is persevering prayer. This is the kind of prayer that perseveres and breaks through obstacles and continues until the object of the love of the person that's doing the prayer is placed in the presence of the one who can solve their problem. So we struggle often in prayer because sometimes in prayer, God is calling us to persevere. See, I told you knock, seek and ask. All that's prayer. And so you knock one time, you seek one time, you ask one time, door doesn't open. Your friend is still in that condition. What are you going to do? I'm going to go back and knock and ask and pray. And I go back and my friend is still in that condition. What am I going to do? I'm going to keep knocking because the condition in total hasn't changed. My friend has a problem. Only Christ can solve it. My friend has a problem. Only Christ can solve it. The situation hasn't changed. He's still my friend. You know what the scripture says? A friend loveth at all times. This is how you can know who your friends are. Instead of your constituents, and hurry up and make the distinction between the two. And I'm sorry, even your brethren may not be your friends. Because a friend is a kind of person that possesses these characteristics essential to long-lasting relationships. You hear what I'm saying? So these four, whoever they were, bore this man up. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith and he only responded once they had safely let him down through the roof, right in the, can you imagine just, just coming down, descending, just descending, you know, blocking the vision of Jesus from the people, descending, landing right there. And then our Lord rewards him, rewards them with his acknowledgement of what they did. And that is a principle for us to mark. This is why in a Sunday's message, we were clear to close out in Hebrews 6 with that ominous warning of apostasy by God's admonition. But God is not unjust or unrighteous to forget your labor of love or work of faith, which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. That's verse 10. It ought to be the calling card for every mature believer. Here's what God says. He does not forget your labor of love or work of faith. This is not an 
egocentrical contemplation by which we are seeking to gratify sort of a narcissistic objective of being noted or being uh, um, praised or being um, adulated for something we're doing. It is simply a truth in scripture that those who serve God will be rewarded openly for it. This is the thing that we're going to be baptized into on Sunday. God promises his people over and over and over and over. There is nothing that you do for God that he does not reward exponentially because he knows what it takes for you and I to be able to do for God what God wants us to do in the face of every opposition, both internally and externally. He rewards it. He rewards it. And that becomes part of the impetus for us to do what we do as we do it. So that third blessing, uh, that third point is that the blessing of believing family and friends is that we are able to bring individuals who can't come to Christ into the presence of Christ by prayer, by our own testimony and exposition of biblical teaching in their life. Those of you who are qualified to expound scripture, you are a walking temple. You are a walking scholar. You are a walking witness. You are a walking testimony. You are a mobile means by which men and women can be confronted with biblical truth that can change their life. So if you are brought into a situation by providence to share the word of God and expound the gospel to men and women, what a blessing you become. Because everyone can't come to Christ, not in that present condition. So we have to go to them. We have to go to them. Let's go on to our third point now. Peter and John, in our PowerPoint, Peter and John are what? What's the word? Witnesses. Write it down if you didn't. And go back and listen to the three or four classes where we initially developed the whole concept of witnessing. That's what you are. That's what I am. That's what we are. It's not just what we do. It's what we are. I mean, we have to grow into that reality. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. I am a witness. I don't just do witnessing. If I do witnessing, but I'm not a witness, I'm not a true witness. And a true witness doesn't deliver souls. If I do witnessing, but I'm not a witness, I am telling lies and I can't deliver anyone by telling lies. I have to believe the product. So here's what's going on. God had already told the disciples, yea, Peter, James, and John, that you shall be my what? Chapter 1, verse 8. Here comes an opportunity for them to become his what? This is the way God works. And also, as I have been talking to those of us who are learning sound biblical evangelism, sound biblical evangelism is not that you are always out looking for someone to witness to is that you are always ready to witness when the door opens up for it. So some have named it lifestyle evangelism. That's cool. But what we're talking about is the authentic evangelism that is intrinsic to who we are because we are prepared, always ready to give an answer to everyone that asks us of the hope of the calling that is within us with meekness and fear. So I devote a portion of my life to being always committed to a healthy relationship with God because God's not going to use you if you're not right with him. I mean, if he does, you know, that's beside the point. But normally he will shut your mouth until you have established a right protocol with him and then you become ready to share the word of God. As you know, God has allowed us to be silent in his chastisement of us on an individual level. In some cases... 
for long periods of time. Am I telling the truth, brothers and sisters? Now, in those cases, we're glad he's kept our mouth shut. Because, boy, it's bad to talk about God when you're not right with him. Because you get stuff messed up. I'm just telling you, you will mess stuff up. If you try to talk about God in a Jonah-type situation, just keep your mouth shut. And so sometimes he'll do that. He'll, he'll have us where we don't have an effective period of witnessing, and that's a good thing. It's humbling, too, because you will see opportunities pass by. And you'll go, you know, can't say nothing. Not right. Can't say anything. Not right. The Lord will bring a person to you and that person will be talking about a particular issue, struggle, trial that they're going through. Can you help me with that? The, the opportunity is right in your lap. And you say, no, can't help you. How come? Because I'm going through the same thing you're going through. And I've been blowing it the last 50 times. If I told you that and didn't tell you what to do, you would turn to me and say, physician, heal yourself. Right? So it does occur. And when that occurs... It, it ought to humble us and it ought to correct us because we ought to always want to be ready to do the will of God. But Peter and John are witnesses and there are three aspects that I just want to call your attention to. First, it's the assignment that was given to them, right? All power and authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the assignment given to the whole church. That's you too, me too. And then the second is the promise. The promise in John chapter 14, 12 is a radical promise that Christ gave to his disciples of whom he called lambs. You know what he said? He says, greater works than these that I do, you will do. Greater works. It's a powerful, powerful promise of a transition from Jesus to the disciples or the apostles through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A powerful paradigm of an Old Testament reality, too. I'll share that with you in a moment. But we had learned it in the opening introductions of the book of Acts. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the one that is believing on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. So right there, if we were to take our time and unpack those, uh, those uh, ideas right there, one of the things we see inherent in that statement, that promise, that proposition, is a transition of what Christ was doing from himself to his people. An extension of the ministry of Christ from Christ personally to those who are his believers. This is the book of Acts. All the church is, is an extension of Christ bodily. That's all the church is. If the relationship is authentic, if it's vital, all we can ever do by the grace of God is merely reproduce what he did. Now, when he says, the works that I do, you shall do, that is, it would perpetuate and extend beyond the ministry of Christ when he's here, and greater works than these shall he do. He does not mean greater in kind. He means greater in dimension, greater in breadth, greater in measure. You guys got that? The works that Christ did become the works that we, the church, does because Christ is working in us by his spirit to do them. And the works are the same that he did when he was here because the need was the same. The need doesn't change. Humanity is the same since the fall. They are sinners. They need a righteousness that makes them right with God. 
They need the forgiveness of sins. They need the impartation of the Holy Ghost in regeneration so they can have a vital union and fellowship with God. They need their understanding illuminated. They need their heart illuminated and enlightened so that they can commune with God and grow in a knowledge of the things of God. They need the present power and influence of the paraclete to lead and guide them into truth and to train them up into their inheritance. They need all of the covenant blessings that we are coming to learn in our Hebrew studies in order to train them up. They need all that. But when they get all that and they are brought to a place of maturity where they can enter into the ministry and serve Christ, they will do no more than what he did because all they will have become is an extension of who he is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the text says, greater works than these shall he do because I go where? To my father. That's actually, ladies and gentlemen, what we see taking place in our text. Go with me to John chapter 17, verses 18 through 21, and we'll see the request given by Christ to his father concerning the very events that we are looking at in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 3. In John 17, one of the things that the son is requesting of the father now that he is on his way back to glory to reside in the presence of the ineffable bliss and to be glorified on the earth through his church. One of the things he is requesting, we are reading in verse 18 of chapter 17, these words, as you have sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. Jesus was the initial apostle. The church now is the Apostle Vicar. The apostles now are coming into the world, going into the world with the same ministry that Jesus did. And he said, and for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 19 is establishing a, a link of purpose between what Jesus did and what the disciples will do. We saw this in Hebrews chapter 2. They are all sanctified by that one sanctifier in order that through that sanctification process, they might be made one. And so Jesus is set apart. Jesus is consecrated. Jesus suffers, dies, and rises again. This is all part of his sanctification in order that you and I might be sanctified through the what? True. What he's saying is, I sanctify myself, Father, that is, I suffer all that was required of the covenant so that when I take my place as mediator, I can send the Holy Ghost to them like you sent it to me. Are you hearing me? So that they can do through the Holy Spirit what I did through the Holy Spirit. Again, the disciples are not going to experience a different power, but the same power. They're not going to do a different work but the same work. They're not going to accomplish a different ministry. It's the same ministry continued, only moving from the head through the body. You guys got that? And so inherent in verse 18 is the cross work of Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. Now I want you to hear this because Jesus is praying. He's the mediator, isn't he? Neither, I told you we need a mediator. Don't, don't we need somebody praying for us when we're not praying for ourselves? Amen. I love it too. I love it. He ever lives to make intercession for me because I need it. Listen to what he says. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their words. 
He's not only praying for me, but he's praying for those who will believe on him through me. He's not only praying for us, but he's praying for those who will believe the gospel through our labors. He's not only praying for the apostles, he's praying for us who believe the apostles. He's covering the bases. This is a beautiful truth that is critical to understand so that the three things that are establishing now this opportunity that we're getting ready to look at now is the fact that it's the assignment of the apostles to share the gospel. It's the promise that they would do greater works in Christ. And then it is the master's request to the father that the father would bestow upon the disciples those very same uh, giftings that the father had given the son. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510 510- 886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.